So I don't know how many of you would like to just eat one meal every now and then. So just wait till the moment in time when you get an invite to someone's house and you get to eat then. How many would like that? That's all you get to eat when you get to someone's house. I wouldn't, right? In between, we're going to get pretty starving. There's going to be times when we're very hungry. The thing is that when we're talking about big faith, we're going to talk about trying to be constant, I guess, in what we believe for. So we were talking about gifts over the last series, and in that series, basically, we're talking about how the Holy Spirit sometimes comes with these gifts of miracles, of healings, of of power that he moves amongst us. And all these things are a gift from God. Now, I understand faith is a gift from God as well. But I want to just challenge you this morning about your faith. Are you living a big faith or not? Because the thing is that we really want to have something in our Christian life that is more than just a hoping that one day God might do something, right? just want to give you um, some thoughts about winners of the lottery. So this is an article on CNBC by Abigail Hess. After winning the biggest undivided jackpot lottery in the US history, Mavis Al Wanzink of Chicopee, Massachusetts, <laughs> yeah, should have gone and lived somewhere else easier, right? Ignored much of the advice that financial experts typically give to lottery winners. She quit her job spoke with the press and took her winnings as a lump sum. While she may be able to afford to break the rules, most winners can't. Lottery winners are more likely to declare bankruptcy within three to five years than the average American. What's more, studies have shown that winning the lottery does not necessarily make you happier or healthier. Evidence shows that most people who make it to the top 1% of income earners usually don't stay at the top for very long, writes the Washington Post's Janelle Mart. Economist J.L. Zagorski agrees with the research. He writes for the US News and World Report. Studies found that instead of getting people out of financial trouble, winning the lottery got people into more trouble, since bankruptcy rates soared for lottery winners three to five years after winning. Jack Whitaker, who won $315 million in a lottery in West Virginia in 2002, tells Time, I wish that I'd torn the ticket up. Since winning, Whitaker's daughter and granddaughter died due to drug overdoses. Just eight months after winning, he was robbed of 545000 I just don't like Jack Whitaker. I don't like the hard heart I've got, he said. I don't like what I've become. He's the last person I would have prototyped for going completely crazy, but he did, Don McNay, a financial consultant, so lottery winners and the author of Life Lessons from the Lottery tells time about Whitaker. No question, it was because he won the lottery. And then it goes on to talk about how often that there's friends that come by now that you've won the lottery and there's this pressure to give to them and, and there's a curse, they say, on the lottery because it makes the lives worse instead of improving them. So they have trouble saying no to friends. They have expectations placed on them that they normally don't have and their depression and divorce and suicide rates go up amongst lottery winners. Now... While some people actually benefited from the lottery, it seemed that people who were waiting for that right time, the right moment in life to make it, still failed at life. Now, I don't want to say that, you know, that, that they were failures, but there were things in their life that still didn't take place. They didn't have a discipline in their life that actually brought about financial freedom. They had a lottery win. 
Now, I would just like to say that maybe we live our lives a little bit like that as Christians sometimes. It's, it's almost like a Russian roulette, but in the way that we're actually blessed if the chamber's full. So we've got our blessing gun and we're spinning around and we're like, God, can you give me a blessing? Click. There's no blessing. Oh, obviously God doesn't want to bless me. Something's wrong. But imagine if we do live like that. Imagine that our Christian life is based on what if God moved? What if God does something? Hoping that God does something for us. You see, we play this game with our faith. So many Christians have got what we call the measure of faith that David talked about last week in his sermon. And, and while he preached about four different reasons, things that we need to watch out when we're trying to grow our faith big, he said this, that each one of us has been given the measure of faith. And God wants us to learn to live a life of faith, not just hoping in the possibility that God might move, that maybe today God will do it. And so today as we're looking at this big faith, I'm going to be throwing out a challenge to you so that you can reflect on your own life of faith. I want to challenge you to think about where you're really looking. What is it that possibly might be stopping you receiving the promises of God and maybe even the community that you belong to, your family that you are in from receiving the promises of God because of your unbelief? You see... Each one of us, God has given a purpose and plan for in this world. But not every one of us takes it. Every single one of us is called to do something for God, but not everyone takes up that challenge. And I'm going to look at a massive enemy to faith, to having big faith this morning. In fact, I think that if you can start to get your head around this, it is going to change your life. As you begin to pursue a life of faith, you will begin to see changes in every part of your life. So this morning, this message is very, very important. It's vital that we grow in faith, that we reach this place where we know who God is, we know what he's like, and we begin to nurture and grow that seed of faith, that mustard seed that... David talked about last week in our life. Because the truth is a seed remains a seed until it dies and put in the ground, but then it begins to grow. And so with us, so many times we have this measure of faith, but we refuse to plant it. We don't put it into action in our life, in different areas of our life. All we think about is something else, which we're going to look at today. But your faith is given to you to look after. God has already moved. He doesn't need to move again. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, and with that came all these promises from God. So we're going to look at a couple of chapters this morning, one in the New Testament in Luke chapter 18, and then we're going to be looking at numbers. And why I want to do this is to, because Jesus ends this passage with a very poignant question. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 to 8. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Yeah, that's a good thing, isn't it? We should be praying and never giving up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with the enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. 
but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night, really keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Now, in this parable, God is not an evil judge. In fact, this is who God isn't. God is not mean and nasty and horrible and doesn't want to grant requests of that person asking. God is different to that judge. So we need to understand that first of all, that when we have faith that is big, we know who God is. We know our relationship with him. And so much depends on this. Because if I have a bad image of God, I'm never going to receive anything. If I really believe that God is a bad judge then I'm going to think that the only way I can get something is to act like this woman in this story and keep hounding God until he actually moves, until he does something. Maybe God might get actually annoyed with you. I don't know if you've ever heard that in a, in a workplace, but in my workplace they used to call me a God-botherer. <laughs> Anyone ever heard that? Yeah? You bother God all the time. Can you see the mental picture in that? That when I pray, all I'm doing is bothering God. He doesn't really want to talk to me. He doesn't really want to answer my requests. He doesn't want anything to do with me at all. But because I'm so annoying, maybe if he gives me what I'm asking for, it's going to shut me up. This is a big enemy to your faith, not knowing who God is and not knowing his heart. And there's another parable of the talents where the last one hid the talents away and God said, you had a bad attitude towards me. You thought I was mean. You thought I was horrible and unjust and reap where I didn't plant. You had a wrong attitude of heart. And the ones who used what God gave them, God said, come on, enter into the joy that I have for you. Well done. And what that parable is showing us is that God's heart towards us was actually to draw us into his presence and share with us the joy that he has in his kingdom. That's one of the first things that we need to think about. God is good. Just as we were singing this morning, God is good. He who held back not his only son, won't he even more give us good things? If he gave Jesus, surely he's going to give us other good things when we ask him. So what does this faith mean? It's a conviction, a belief, a respect of God and the relationship with him and the divine things that he gives us. It's this idea of trust and holding on to the things of God, a further born of faith. And with that, there's a trust or a confidence, whether it's in God or in Christ, it doesn't matter. It's springing from faith in them. And it includes healing, salvation, to be awakened up to who God is and allowing us to trust in the promises of God. So why did I read that chapter, that verse, those verses there? Because of this question at the end. You see, God is wanting to see a people of faith. That's the question Jesus asked at the end, isn't it? But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? How many people 
Can God look down and say, they had faith in me throughout their life. They didn't think that they were bothering me when they asked, but they grabbed hold of my promises. And when I come back, how many are actually going to have faith? Or how many are going to be sitting in churches or, or saying they're Christians and living in immaturity, just grabbing hold of the first fruit of faith, which was, I believe in God and for salvation, but taking it no further. You see, the thing is that every single generation has a job to do for God, including this generation right here, including our children. They have something planned by God for them. There's assignments that they are meant to do. There's work that they're meant to accomplish. There's giants that are meant to be defeated. There's sin to overcome. There's victory to gain. There's land to take for Jesus Christ. And each and every one of us is called to this life of faith to say, you know what, I'm not just going to wait for a miracle for God to do something. God has moved and now I'm going to step out and I'm going to walk in this victory that God has given me and I'm going to use what God has given me to win things for his kingdom, which was one of David's points last week. The purpose of your faith is for the kingdom of God to grow and extend it. And how many people have you ever heard say, if only God would, if only God would, but maybe God's saying, if only you would. If only you would let go of your doubt and your fear and you would put some trust in me and believe for big things, believe for things that are impossible in the human psyche. And John 15, even though we're not going there this morning, please read through it, that our development of faith is totally tied up in our relationship with Jesus. Living in the vine gives us this power to live for him. When I know who Jesus is and when I'm living in him, knowing that my righteousness is in him, knowing that my peace is in him, knowing that my joy is in him, from him flows all those good things. And that gives me the ability to ask for anything that I want and get it. And I just want to read through one of the most, I guess, big passages regarding the smallness of the people in regard to their faith. Now, a lot of you will be very familiar with this. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're a new Christian. But we're going to be talking about when the Israelites came out of Egypt and the first time they got to the Promised Land. The first time they reached the Jordan River, an 11-day journey... They'd been taken out of slavery in Egypt, gone through the Red Sea, been protected by God with great miracles. And they arrived at this river before the land of Canaan where they went to walk in and receive the promises that God had given them for that land. And we're going to be looking at a time when the spies were sent in to survey the land that God was giving them. And again, I say to you, every generation is given an assignment by God. What's ours? One of them is building that building over there because you know what? 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the line, there's going to be our children and our grandchildren running that place. And hopefully they're doing bigger and greater things for God than we did. But we want to set that foundation, but then build their faith so that they can grow and do what God has asked them to do, whatever that might be. And the assignments, again, that God gives you don't only just shape you because they're to teach you how to live for God, but they're also linked to the corporate. 
you are part of a body. And when you decide that your faith needs not be strong, you actually affect the whole body. And this story is going to show that in an amazing way. But again, when we receive a corporate promise, you also get blessed. When, when the Israelites took the land, there were bits portioned up for each person. This is your land, that's your land. But they worked together for the promise. And in that was an individual promise as well. And so God has got a promise for you within the body. And I don't know about you, but wherever I've served, I've also been blessed. Danny Guglielmucci talks about how we're to serve another man's dream first. Another person's dream. Now obviously it has to be a God dream, but he talked about how Joseph had a dream. That one day his brothers would bow down before him and his father and his mother. But then he was thrown into a pit and sold as a slave. Then Joseph served Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh had a dream of a famine and Joseph was brought out of his slavery and his prison cell and was set to serve this dream of Pharaoh. But in serving that dream, his dream came true. And as Christians, we need to remember that, that God wants us to work together and serve a dream together. And when God places something in your heart, it is revealed by serving the body and growing in the body together. So we're going to be looking at Numbers, chapter 13, verse 17 to 20, to start with. And then we're going to be jumping around a little bit within this chapter. So these are spies to be sent out. Moses gave these men instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do they have towns? Sorry, do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. Isn't it funny in life? Faith is not blind. God asked them to send out these spies before them to go and see what they were doing, to get a plan together so that they knew when they went, went into the land what they were facing. And you should be doing that in your life as well. When you're looking at a job, investing, starting a business, God does not hate the how question, how God. He gives you a dream, but then he wants to reveal it to you. How do we do this? The land was given, but they sent spies so they could see what was the best way to do it. God would be with them and he would go before them. And at that time they came back with the reports of the fruit that was being gathered. Now I'm just going to let you know some of the things about the fruit of that land and what they represented. So they found these types of fruits, grapes, they found pomegranates and they found figs. And these are really symbolic in the Old Testament of different things. So grapes usually meant blood. Just as this morning we gathered around communion together, it was speaking prophetically about the blood of Christ. This land was going to be the place where Jesus came through. This was all part of God's plan. Jesus had to come and be born there in this new land, the promised land, and he had to die there for our sin. It's what God wanted. So the grapes represented the blood, pomegranates 
represented worship. And when the Israelites were to go into the promised land, all of a sudden things were going to change. From this, this, um, this life of being slaves, they were going to be setting up a place of worship where they would really learn how to worship God. When they built the temples in the Old Testament, there was amazing things happen. The glory of God came down. They learned how to worship well. When David was on the throne of Israel, worship became something amazing. Worship, the new land that they were given, and figs was like bread. It was basically the staple food of the day. And so we are called to be saved by the blood of Christ. We are called to become worshippers. And we are called to learn how to get our needs met, to take the victory. Because before the promised land, God looked after the Israelites. But after they entered in, the miracles stopped. We looked at that a few weeks ago with the manna when they finally entered in. Because now they were required to live a life of faith. You see, as a slave in Egypt, they didn't need faith. It was tough. It was hard. But they didn't need faith. They got fed. Yeah, they got whipped. But they knew they were having food. When they're wandering through the wilderness, they knew God was providing something every day. But when they entered into the promised land, God said, now you need to walk by faith. You have to walk by faith. And Christians, we need to do that. We need to establish that in our life. Firstly, that we are saved by the blood of Christ. Secondly, we need to become people that worship God in spirit and in truth. And you might find that hard. You might think, I've never really learned how to worship, but this is perfect for you. You can begin to learn how to worship. As a congregation, we can learn how to worship together. It's not easy when you first become a Christian to know about worship because you're so used to loving yourself and to direct your affection to someone else and worship them is actually quite different. But we do know how to do it. We do know how to worship and we need to grow in that. And we are called to live by faith to get our needs met. You see, this is the truth. Everyone else will let you down. Everyone. The government is going to let you down at some stage. The education system is probably going to let you down at some stage. Centrelink might not come through for you. But God is trustworthy and he wants to lead you one step at a time to the destiny that you have. Now, we got a problem. They've sent spies in, they've seen this fruit, it's great. But Moses, I don't know what he was thinking of. <laughs> he picked some pretty dud spies to send in, right? They went out and they explored for 40 days throughout this land and had a look around and they came back to give a report to the people. In Numbers 13, verse 30 and 31, they'd started to give the report and, and 10 spies were just saying, this is impossible, we can't go in there. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. What were they saying? They're saying we can't do it. Why is it that so many people feel the need to defy God? 
people that dig their heels in and they have this attitude against being obedient to the things that God has asked them to do. Why is it that we do that? And it's not just God they're disobeying, but they're beginning to obey another spirit. When we look out forward in faith, what is it that we're looking for? God is asking us to be obedient, not just in our character and obeying his word, but also in what he wants us to do. And yet so many people dig their heel in. I don't need to do that. You can't make me come to church. I don't have to obey you. I don't have to listen. I don't have to do anything. And yet the word of God is very clear and people still refuse to listen. And you might know people like this. It doesn't matter what you're doing for God. They're just going to jump on the most insignificant and little thing and make that the reason why you cannot do it. You know people like that. I know you do. As soon as you're stepping out for God, yeah, you can't do that. The color's wrong. You can't do that. The music's too loud. You can't do that. No one's going to listen to the word. You can't do it because the seats are, are not comfortable. You can't do it. Whatever the reason is, the sound isn't good enough. Whatever it is, you just can't do it. They're insignificant and irrelevant reasons to what God can do. But they really want to let you know why it can't be done. And this is the people that are just like the ten spies that went and looked at the land where God said, I'm going to lead you into that land. I'm going to go before you. But these people are just like those ten spies. It cannot be done. And what's the alternative? The alternative is to go back out into the desert for 40 years and wander around living in tents, having your children without a home. But still, that doesn't matter. It's much more important that I be comfortable, that I don't push forward, that I don't ruffle any feathers because it can't be done. What a miserable existence. And the statements like these fail to consider the help of the Lord and they are an insult to the Almighty God. They're an insult to him because what you're saying to him is you're not big enough. You're not good enough. And we cannot forget to consider God when we are looking at our big faith. Well, the people didn't want to go in. And guess what God did? He honoured their faith. Ultimately, they got exactly what they believed for. And as Christians, perhaps we could stretch our faith a little bit more and believe for something a little bit more. And the reason why, and this is the big thing I want you to get out of today, is that they were moved more by what they could see than the, God, than the promises that God had given them. Let's go back to Numbers 13, 32 to 33. Because it wasn't just like they didn't believe it, these spies, but let's see what they did. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we travelled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. 
Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Now, most of us would believe that every person in Canaan was a giant, just from our past church history, yeah? Well, there were giants in the land, they were all giants. They weren't. There's a few places they went to where the people were a little bit larger. But this is how it works. When we start to look at the wrong thing, we start to magnify what we see. Oh, they were all giants. I don't know if anyone have ever played sport and you go out against a team and there's one big guy and all of a sudden they're all big. And it's like, oh, we can't possibly beat them. But could you imagine if you're a spy (laughs) and all the giant's children are bigger than you, that you can walk around unnoticed in a land like that? Hi. (laughs) All these giants, hi. Uh, Are you a spy? Oh, no. (laughs) What made you think that? The reports that they give weren't actually correct. God was actually, people were dying because God was moving before them and, and apparently there's some sort of disease and, and when Joshua went in, that even, even kept going. But God had amazing things for them in this land that we're going to look at that they said were negative but were actually positive. If you read the rest of that chapter, you'll see these things that they said. We saw walled cities or fortified cities. And so they were saying, this is going to be hard to take. But there was a lot of people groups in that land, 11 I think that they mentioned. Why do they need fortified cities? Because they're fighting each other. What this says is that these people are not going to help one another when the Israelites come in. So that God's going to allow it to be that they can conquer city by city and move forward. And not only that, that there's going to be safe places for millions of people as they enter into the promised land. Places they can stay in cities they never built. There's great produce in the land. So there was food security. that The land could support them. There was exaggerated reports of giants, as I said, but hey, there's a lot of Israelites. Kill one giant and everyone else runs away. Look what happened when David killed Goliath. Get rid of the big guy. In fact, my one and only martial arts lesson, they said, if you're in a fight, hit the little guy first. (laughs) That's nothing to do with giants. But anyway, (laughs) it's just interesting. Okay, in my head it was. (laughs) Put it back on. Okay, the land was devouring the people, but this is what God had promised. I'm going to go before you and drive them out. Now, before you get too sorry for these poor old Canaanites, these were wicked people. You know, their practices were to sacrifice their babies. So they'd have a temple where they'd meet and they'd sleep with the prostitutes and and babies would be uh, conceived. And they had a god that that had a... uh, There was a stone statue and they had the arms out on the statue and what they'd do is put their babies in the arms of that statue and burn them alive. As calling passing their children through fire. They weren't a good people that God was displacing. But God was asking the Israelites to go in and take the land step by step, go in and conquer those foes. And as we face things in life, that's exactly what God is asking us to do, to go and conquer step by step. 
And what the spies saw was obstacles. This is the reason why it can't happen. This is the reason why we cannot go into that land. And they totally neglected the promise of God. Do you know what? We're not the first generation that God, uh, God is asking to do something great for him. And we're not going to be the last. There are generations before us that built beautiful churches, great communities, small groups, growing groups, spread the gospel far and wide throughout this, this whole earth, and no doubt every single one of them at one time would have had someone say, this can't be done. You can't win that city for Christ. It's too bad. It's too evil. And today we face a different threat. But it's no different in one other way. If you think back over history, the things that have happened, the horrors, the holocaust, the, the, the dangers to God's people, killed by sword, persecuted, thrown to lions, and yet faith in God kept growing. And today, ours might be that we're worried that the government might change laws, that we're worried that people won't listen to us. Jesus said that he came for the sick, not the well, and we are positioned exactly where we should be in a society that is godless. That's where we're meant to be because we're serving a big God who wants to change their lives and they are messed up just like you were messed up before you knew Jesus. And there's obstacles, yes, there is. But you know what? I don't want to be that spy that comes back and says it's just all too hard. I'm just going to have church at home. Me, myself and I, the Trinity, in fellowship with God. But we're not called to do that. We're called to unite together in the purpose and plans for Cornerstone Christian Fellowship today. And to look ahead and say, God, with you, this is possible. We can make at least a dent on this community. And if we only make a dent, if we at least bring our children up in the ways of God and don't run and, and show them that living for God is not an option and we actually stay steadfast to God and we worship God with all our heart and we read his word and we pray for people and we spread the gospel, and we believe for big things, maybe then even if we've only made a dent, our children can make a change in this society that is earth-shattering. That when people look and, and see Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in 50 years by now, the community can go, there are those people that turned the world upside down. There are those people that build a community where people actually love one another, where people feel welcome, where they feel not judged, where they come in and they meet this living God who turns their life around and fixes their family. That makes their life awesome because he's living inside of them. So perhaps we might only make a dent, but let our children be the arrows that fly out of this place that begin to attack the enemy in ways that we never dreamed possible because we are establishing something for God here and God is able and we need not neglect the fact that he is God and he does the impossible, but he only does it through people who believe. I guarantee 
If the people in Israel had listened to, to Caleb, they would have stepped across that river Jordan and they would have conquered that land because they had faith in God's promises.